Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Lip Media podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, a definitive weekly news source for contemporary gays. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. You can follow us on Instagram at Pod or join our Facebook group at The Gays Are Revolting. And Mikey, it's just you Hi, and me today, darling. isn't it? <laughs> but we will be joined by a very special guest, Mark Camilleri, yes. a psychologist uh, working specifically about. in the LGBTQIA+, yeah. space. But of course, we do have to do reads. Yeah. At the we start, do. It's okay. obligatory. But I feel like you and I are the two nice people on the podcast. I think we definitely are. So maybe we'll just say nice <laughs> things about ourselves. About ourselves? Okay. So, yeah. um, hi, welcome to The Gays Revolting. Um, my name's Thomas. Some of my flaws are that I'm too funny and <laughs> <laughs> too compassionate, um, probably it. too attractive. Yeah. And, um, I, mean, I don't with know. With a moustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got a sexy moustache. Uh, what about you? Yes. Well, hi, my name is Mikey and, oh, I don't know, I'm... I'm <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a nice, nice person. You've got a lovely penis with a nice yeah, ring I do through have it. A nice <laughs> penis, and I'm a cute queer alternative guy. Yeah, loves a good chat with a straight white woman at work. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, look, shit's happened yeah, in the last week. There has it. been some fucking oh, depressing election God. results. Not just not just the Liberal Party w- winning. Uh, I, and look, as we said last week, you're yeah. allowed to be gay and liberal as long That's, as you've done your reading. Yeah, I was very disappointed by that result. Yeah. It's a yeah. depressing time. It is a very depressing time. I, so I left at very last minute to go and vote because I mm-hmm. slept in Wednesday morning oh, for the God. early voting. And I was like, damn it. So we went Saturday after work and I dragged Josh along because I was just like, you have to vote. Was he, he not going to vote? Well, I mean, he just doesn't keep up with politics. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I just said to him, I was like, no, please come. We'll go do it together. It'll be fine. Yeah. It, we were literally in line for 10 minutes. Yeah. But I think the most shocking thing for me was seeing all the liberal people at the front of the voting centre were people of colour was so surprising I'm just like do you know what's going Mm. on here do you know that these like but this is the thing though is that the Liberal Party are really good at lying to people and so that they they can convince people of colour that they're going to look after them they convince gay people that they're going to look after them they convince women Mm -hmm. they're going to look after them they convince pensioners that they're actually looking after them and it's not true but unfortunately they're really good at doing that bullshit mm-hmm. I got really I try not to get angry in this election but I got yeah. really angry at one point because mm-hmm. um, this twink who was a big campaigner for the yes vote okay, yeah. did this thing about oh it's only a $20 fine fuck it I'm not, I can't be fucked Incorrect. I don't even care about any nah. of these possible leaders and stuff it's like fuck you you got your fucking yes vote and now you don't care yeah. about anyone else go do your research like, and learn fuck? who you can vote for to help other people I mean still gay people need help but yeah. other people in the rainbow and, and fucking people on Manus Island and shit exactly that right. you can go and vote for yeah. and look after them them as well, yeah. and yet you expected everyone else to go and vote exactly. yes for you, you little fuckhead. So you've got your I unfriended now. him, and it's never felt so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I do have to say, our next Melbourne live show. Oh yeah, yes. yes. So we've our, our live show is coming up at the, at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute. That's, that's right on is. Sydney Sorry, Road. Mechanics up in just got me. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no, yeah. boys, it's no longer actually a Mechanics Institute. That's there it. won't be any mechanics no. there. No, but I mean, we'll be there on the night. Of yeah. July, so please buy a ticket. Please come uh, and see yes, us. and you can jump on our Facebook if you want to find the tickets. Uh, yeah. The gays are revolting. Other exciting news, of course, Eurovision. Mm-hmm. We didn't oh, win, but we no. did very fucking very well. well. Kate Miller Heidke yes. did incredibly well. That song was amazing, and the performance was Smashed incredible. It. Smashed Loved it. it. And also, I think a big shout out to Joel Creasy, uh, yeah. one of our guests on the gays are revolting, yes. and Mir Forhurst, who are hosting it, who fucking slogged their guts. They're in this like shipping container sized room. <laughs> With no air conditioning up the back no. of that fucking stadium yeah. for however many nights of basketball. So, well done, Kate. Well Good done, Joel. Well Good done, job. Miff. We love you all. Thank you.
And we're so pleased to welcome Mark Camilleri, a psychologist and senior child and family practitioner and part of the Drummond Street Services Queer Space Team. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Coming and sharing your brain knowledge with us. (laughs) Good fun. And can you just tell us a little bit about your role at Drummond Street Services? Um, I'm a counsellor. I'm a senior child and family practitioner. It's just the name that we give it. But I'm part of the Queer Space Team. Mm -hmm. So it's around about like 21 queer identified practitioners. And what we do is we service the queer community for mental health family support, individual group work, and I'm a psychologist, so I'm one of those sort of people. Fantastic. What sort of trends do you see in that area? Look, with a lot of uh, young gay guys, we're not really seeing a lot of, you know, once upon a time it used to be like, not under my roof, no son of mine, and right. kick them out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they just make their life a bit uncomfortable. They start like, who's yeah. that? Is that one of your gay friends? Where yeah. are you going? You know, and they start to police them, and then eventually the young gay guy has to like, oh, I don't want to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. But we are seeing a lot with trans and gender diverse, where they right, actually can't okay. stay mm-hmm. at home anymore. Not, yeah. I will see it with gay guys when they're from um, religious conservative communities okay, or culturally yeah. conservative communities. Sure. So so a lot of sort of young Muslim boys sort of mm. can't stay at home. Yeah, interesting. And um, the religion one is always a big problem. Yeah, sure. So the trend generally with, I would say, probably white, non-religious inner Melbourne families then, mm. it's, yep. it's, it's sort of not as common to see guys no. getting kicked out of the family. Do you think that's a geographical thing, though? Because you do hear sort of rural areas, it's still pretty... Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. definitely. Probably with the sort of the Anglo-white cis yeah, gay right. boy, yeah. um, mainly they come with their mums, <laughs> Yeah, and it's going to be Love parental it, yeah. problems. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think it's getting easier at all then for queer youth, yeah. or is it still just as difficult? Well, if you're a trans yeah. or gender diverse youth, no, it's still going to be still, quite yeah. problematic. And as I said before, culturally conservative and religious communities, yeah. still going to be problematic. Yeah. But... 20 years ago, people were like, ah, gays, you know, you can be a gay teacher, you can, yeah. be a, you can work as a public servant, mm-hmm. you know, that all gay guys were pedophiles. Yeah. And now everyone knows a gay, you know, oh, yeah, my headdresser's gay or my, you know, my nephew's gay. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think we've got that with trans and gender diverse now. It's still a bit like, oh, we're not really quite sure of them. People right, are sort yeah. of a little bit like, oh, how does that work? And yeah. why, how do come people change their genders? They can't yeah. do that. They're, yeah, right. So there's still that bit of a fear, I think, now around about, and I reckon in 20 years, everyone will be like, oh, yes, my niece that'll, used to be, be trans. Yeah, and yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Lots of work to be done still. Yeah, definitely. And the, the interesting addition between now and 20 years ago is social media. In some ways, I imagine, and I'm keen to hear your thoughts, definitely, definitely. that social media has helped in that, you know, Auntie Pat seeing their nieces and nephews who are yeah. gay men on social media living their lives and they're sort of like, oh, I'm okay with it now. Definitely, There's also definitely. the detrimental element where the, the young people are seeing sort of hate from, not to mention any politicians' names, but <laughs> leaders of, of the world and, yeah. and different um, perhaps rugby players and yeah. those sorts of people. Do you, what sort of role has social media played? Yeah, well, you've hit it right on the head. It is one of those double-edged mm. sword because in one sense it does expose you to things mm. that you normally wouldn't be exposed to. And particularly like globally now, so we all know about Caitlyn Jenner, whereas yes. once yeah. upon a time we probably wouldn't have known about no, Caitlyn Jenner. But then on the other side, when we saw this with the mayor to the postal survey, mm. that now we hear more voices of hate. Yeah. And when people don't like us, from uh, sometimes from the other side of the world, we're also exposed to that. So, you know, it is one of those horrible tensions that we yeah. need to live yeah. with. Because we, we fear what we don't know, what we haven't mm. experienced before. Because it's mm. scary because we haven't done it before. Yeah. Or I might be scared of this person because I've never met one before. Mm. But when I meet them, I think, oh, you know, uh, all Muslims are terrorists. But when I meet one, I'm like, oh, they're actually lovely. Yeah, or all sure. gay men want to have sex before gay men but then you're like oh he's gay and he didn't want to have sex with me oh that's okay yeah, so you start yeah. to challenge that well, you don't get that on social media you're right whereas in real life in relationship you know you find out that so and so is trans and so and so is gay at work and you're like oh actually they're quite normal they're just yeah, a person that's fine. Yeah, that's whereas it. you don't get that personification you don't get that sort of relational thing on social media you just get this sort of very two dimensional <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah. do you find that you have a lot of youth coming in that do generally have like social media issues like yeah, yeah. look it wouldn't be the presenting issue okay I, they might sort of come in and go you know I don't feel very good about myself yeah. or I'm sort of particularly if they're trans and gender diverse they might be transitioning and be worried about sort of some type of dysmorphias mm-hmm. or you know they're not passing because they see yeah. this one's passing and this one's you know yeah. further along on the track with me and so that causes the distress mm-hmm. and just so, for people that might not be familiar passing you mean people that pass well, passes, uh, as, as a, a gender, particular yeah, gender. Yeah. sorry about my yeah. job no no no, no, no. <laughs> it's perfect just... 
So yeah, it, I don't think it's the presenting issue, but okay. um, the presenting issue is exacerbated by yeah. Yeah. the focus on the social media, and we see that with um, gay boys about oh, yeah, body image for all sure. the time, wanting to present a certain yeah, way. Yeah, definitely, course. definitely. And you mentioned that you do work with young trans people. We're seeing more and more kids transition at a younger age some before puberty. How do you work with young people and their families to ensure that they're equipped with dealing with transitioning at such a young age? Look, it is true. We are seeing younger, younger people that mm-hmm. are coming out as trans. And I think that's because now it's a bit safer for them mm, to come sure. out as a trans. There's a lot more recognition. And when we're working with those younger mm-hmm. ones, they might not have the language yeah. that we might have to identify mm-hmm. as trans. So I think all of us, you know, when we look back, we can go, oh, yeah. that was me being gay when I was four. Yeah, you know, when I looked at that little, yeah, words but we it. didn't have the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of that with trans. And I think in young trans people, we tend to look for lots of behavioral indicators. Okay. So more like, you you know, they might not be able to say, yes, I, I know I was a girl, but sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like a boy. When you put them in dresses, they become quite distressed. So they'll yeah. be like, you know, you have to go to Arnie Hallen's wedding mm-hmm. and you're in the bridal party, so we'll put you in a dress. And they yeah. become extremely distressed. Yeah, right. And so that for me would be those indicators that okay. they're like, okay. And then, you know, combined with, you know, I want to cut my hair. Yeah. I don't want to wear the, the girl's uniform. Yeah. You know, so those things might be indicators. And yeah, probably about a third of trans young people now are identifying as trans prior to puberty. Wow. Because you know, like puberty, of course, our secondary sex characteristics come out. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I don't want these. This is not part of me. This is not part of who I am. So it's a big indicator of puberty. But now we're seeing about a third are identifying pre-puberty of being trans or gender diverse. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, And of course, that causes lots of confusion and and distress in the family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And like being gay, you know, a lot of the families sometimes have to, it forces them to come Mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, how's your daughter going? They're like, oh, I don't have a daughter anymore. (laughs) My daughter's actually now a boy. You do see lovely ways of that happening, though. I don't know if you saw that retraction that the family, family, I think it was in the UK. Yeah. The family printed I gave me goosebumps when I read about it. You know the um, births and death oh, section yeah, of the yeah, newspaper, yeah, yeah. where it's like you know so and so delivered a proud yeah. baby girl. They said, "Oh, we got it wrong sixteen years ago. We had a daughter. Yeah. We have been informed that it was actually a son. We're very proud to announce our son." That's amazing. Yeah, which is a really I thought a really sweet Definitely way of doing did. that. Well, yeah, so nice. but I can imagine that it's probably not as easy for yeah. all parents. But like with parents with their gay or lesbian son or daughter, mm. that they, they start with all these fears, you know, mm, and course. most parents. You know, they want their kids to be happy and safe. Yeah. yeah. So always want to get the parents in. I sort of ask the young person to leave and I'll be like, oh, what do you want? It's normally yeah. I want them to be happy and safe. And so my thing by affirming them in their gender mm-hmm. will make them happy and safe. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we're all on the same page here. And a lot of time they just need education because yeah. they're full with all these myths and rumors. You know, the same one for gays. You're going to die yeah. lonely. Yeah. It's going to be a hard life. Mm-hmm. People are going to bully you. And we need to go, no, that's not true. Yeah. They'll develop a community. They'll develop friends. They'll have relationships. They can do everything that um, hetero and cis people can do. Yeah. And yeah. you mentioned Caitlyn Jenner earlier. Do you think it's going to be easier for them as there's more high profile people coming out? Do you think that's going to be a big factor, both for the parents and for yeah. the, the kids? Not even necessarily high profile. But I think it's just that matter of invisibility, isn't yeah. it? You know, if we don't see ourselves, we feel erased. Yeah, for sure. We feel like, oh, yeah. I can't see people, other people like me. So a lot of times when I'm working with these young trans things, it's just about trying to find other young trans kids for them to hang out Mm -hmm. with. And, you know, we have that, like we all do, we have this remarkable thing for peers will educate peers. Yeah. yeah. So you'll find out from your peers what's appropriate and not what isn't appropriate really quickly. Yeah. And and we do this for the parents as well. Mm-hmm. They can find other parents of trans and gender diverse people so they can go, wow, it's I think really that's one hard. of the, yeah, yeah, one of the really lovely things about organisations like Minus 18. Yeah. When I was younger, it was, for, for me, sure. it was just about Minus 18. But yeah. as an adult now, I look at it and go, oh, well, that's also a great way for the parents mm-hmm. to sort of get to yeah, meet each other and go, yeah. oh, gosh, I don't know what to do about this or yeah, should really I be concerned about this? Sure. Yeah, it's fantastic that yeah. there's places And we used to have like, like P-flags, parents yeah. and friends and yeah. lesbian gays. And now there's parents, trans and gender diverse people. Fantastic. So, you yeah. know, and, and it's great. They all go together and have a barbecue and bitch about their kids. Brilliant. Right? <laughs> okay, yeah, it's really hard. Isn't it? yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. really good. Fantastic. They need those safe spaces. And there's obviously been a lot of coverage about the wonderful work that you're doing in, yeah. in the media, but a lot of it has not been positive, unfortunately. Are there people trying to stop you doing the work that you're doing with these kids? Yeah, look, we still get a lot of kickback. You know, like once mm-hmm. upon a time, like homosexuality used to be a mental illness lots of times you know that the trans and gender journey of young people in particular is quite pathologized Mm -hmm. you know it's quite medicalized you know you need lots of criteria and hoops to jump through 
So once upon a time, they used to call it gender confusion. Right. <laughs> and right. now we sort of move away from type of that. But you still get those people, you know, the people that are opposed to safe schools, mm-hmm. so any sexuality or same-sex sexuality education yeah. being taught in schools. You still get some of those people from the postal survey, anti-gay marriage, mm-hmm. that would say that, you know, we shouldn't be supporting trans young people. They're just yeah. confused. We should actually be trying to affirm them to be happier in the gender they were assigned at birth. So we do sort of get that kickback there. But as I said before, most of our data yeah. and most of it, you know, that people are happier when we affirm yeah. them in their gender, mm-hmm. they're less likely to be have suicidal, less likely to yeah, have mental health, less likely to have depression. Yeah. So a lot of the data actually doesn't support, you know, there's that, that wait and see. Yeah. Although, mm-hmm. you know, for the younger ones that are having these prepubescent transitioning, you know, a lot of it is wait and mm-hmm. see because yeah. we can't really use puberty blockers or hormones yeah. or anything until they hit puberty. Sure. So a lot of time it's just how can you yeah. affirm them in their gender with all Without those... intervention. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's like that totally. social transitioning, which is about changing your name mm-hmm. and changing your pronouns. And then we'd look at physical transitioning, so cutting your hair, yeah. wearing yeah. the clothes of the gender that you prefer. And then all those um, medical transitionings, you know, we can just wait until after puberty. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, th- and those, do you have to work with the schools and things as well? I, I imagine mm. some of the schools wouldn't be really well equipped with no, things like no, the, yeah. wearing the uniform that doesn't suit the gender mm-hmm. that they were born with. Definitely, definitely. And particularly seeing the younger ones. So when I, if I'm at creche, I can wear fairy wings all day. Yeah. There's one toilet. But when I get to start prep, yeah. they go, oh, you have to choose a uniform now yeah. and you have to choose the toilet. So the institution of the school actually yeah. forces gender onto these children that are quite happy living and the other yeah. kids at the play centre are quite don't happy. Care until they don't care until it's put into no. these two yeah. separate uniforms. So it's like the institution of the education institutes forces the binary gender onto them, which causes the trauma. So, yes, I work a lot with schools about, like, you know, we don't need to move that way, that uniforms are just uniforms and toilets are just toilets. Why do we gender uniforms and why do we gender toilets? That's it. And I know schools are set up to deal with the 450 enrolments they have. Mm. And so, therefore, when you get a student with individual needs, it's really hard to meet the needs. So I do understand where the schools are coming from, but the schools are funded by Australian tax money to yeah. create a safe environment for all That's students, it. regardless of their sexuality or their gender. Yeah. And also the sooner they learn about it, the better, because it's not like it's going to be the last student that they have. Definitely, well. yeah. definitely, yeah. But, you know, a lot of times they are the pioneers. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great if schools set themselves up for when they do have a trans student, they'd already be ready, but a lot yeah. of times it's this They're, reactive it's thing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, it's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. I, I was wondering, like, do you have a lot of, like, people coming to you that are non-binary and identifying as non-binary like yeah look this is a really you know it's emerging and I think it's always been Mm. there but yeah we're seeing a lot more non-binary gender queer gender fluid young people actually there was a trans pathways survey Mm -hmm. of Australian queer young people and about a third of them identified as non-binary so I think you know this next generation now like the next generation of gay guys you know that we can hold the mask and the femme together at the same time we don't need to always be in the one or the other and I think we're seeing that in the trans community, the gender diverse mm. and the non-binary community mm. about holding these multiple identities at the same time mm. and not feeling the need to sort of live Pick in any one or the other. You were saying before about identifying younger kids pre-puberty mm-hmm. mm. as, as being trans. Is it hard to sort of differentiate when you're dealing with kids that young the difference between trans and non-binary? Is that mm. yeah, definitely. Look, I had a four-year-old little child come in, mm. uh, assigned at birth a female, yeah. and was definitely trans. Was okay. saying, "I want to wear the boys' uniform. I'm going to go to the boys' toilet. Mm. I want my hair cut short. Yeah. I don't want to wear dresses." So in that one there, you probably think, well, they're pretty much going to grow up to be trans. But for others that are a little bit like, oh, well, you know, my mum's place, you know, I like to wear high heels and put Mm -hmm. lippy on. But Mm -hmm. when I stay at my dad's place on the weekend, I'm more like traditional boy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with those ones there, they might end up being a little bit more gender fluid. But then I'd be looking at environment. Like if dad's place was supportive for them to be more in their femme side, would they be femme all the time then? So that's one of the assessments we make when we're assessing. Because so then my next question, isn't yeah. really complicated. <laughs> yes. So I identify as a, as a gay cis man. Yes. And definitely am. But as a child, would go to grandma's and dress up sure, and, and yeah. be quite happy in the heels and, and the dresses and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But at home, that wasn't really allowed, and I didn't particularly want to or feel comfortable doing it at home. If I was that kid now, would that be a red flag for you, or is there something that makes it obvious that I'm not? I'm a gay man that likes yeah. dressing up. Well, maybe if you 
were giving that opportunity, you mm. might have stayed more in touch with that femme side and mm. might have become gender diverse. Okay. And we see that in, you know, in our sexualities and in our mm. holding that masculine femme at the same time, mm. that, you know, as we get more permission, there's more options for us. Okay. Okay. And I think that's what, as a therapist, mm. we'd always want to keep lots more options open because mm-hmm. the narrower we get, the more distress we're going to cause because it's yeah. so confining. <laughs> One of the um, arguments that's often used by the far right and, and the, the people mm-hmm. that are against safe schools and all of Yes, is that you know if you're dealing with kids that young that you're you're making a decision that can never be reversed. But I think, in, and I'm glad that you were talking about it today. What a lot of people don't understand is that, correct me if I'm wrong, until puberty, there's no medical intervention at all. No, yeah, um, no, no. And and those kids are making that decision consistently along the way. It's not like they just made a decision when they were four mm. and they're stuck with it forever. No, that's yeah. exactly right. Um, I think that's something that maybe a lot of people don't understand about the the work that you're doing with with mm. with younger people. Definitely, definitely. And sometimes you know I'll. You know, they'll come in and they'll say, I'm trans, I want X, Y, and Z surgicals. But then when we sort of go, well, tell me about how did you get to there? And, you know, and you can actually just be a mask girl Mm -hmm. or you can be a trans guy without going to Mm -hmm. do all these other affirmations. Because the pressure is if if I'm assigned at birth a female and I want to identify as a male, some days I might want to put on false nails. Yeah. Yeah. I want to wear eyeshadow. Because then you put so much pressure that I always have to affirm myself as mask. Because as soon as I affirm myself, a femme, the people go, see, you're not really trans. Yeah, yeah. You're not really a guy. And it's like, no, I'm a guy, but mm-hmm. I want to wear a brooch and a yeah, know, hair clip today. It. Does that, would you say, put someone on the gender diverse scale? Mike and I both do drag yeah. Yeah. and quite enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite enjoy the process of it. Yeah. I don't not identify as a man. but Yeah. But yeah well, you know, what is trans? Trans is that great big umbrella term. Yeah, you know, course. we fit everything under that. It's like a spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. And where does drag and cross-dressing fit yeah. into that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and for some people... People, and we see this in RuPaul all the time. Yeah. You know, they've started off in drag and now and they identify they, as yeah. trans. Yeah. And not to say there's no such thing as bisexuality, but no. some people identify yeah. as bi before they identify as, as gay. True, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some people are just drag queens. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay that's as it. well. I'd rather keep those options open. I think when we start mm-hmm. going down to you have to be either or, male mm-hmm. or female, masculine or femme, gay yeah. or straight. And that's where I see the clients. They, that's what their distress is. They're coming in with the distress of trying to fit into these false binaries. Mm-hmm. And when we go, oh, well, you know, everything's up for grabs. It's really freeing. Yeah, yeah we just have to drag the rest of the world kicking and screaming with us, so, <laughs> <laughs> including um, the religious yeah, conservatives. Yeah, the Prime Minister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just to go on to a different topic, this has been fascinating, but we do need to get onto other yes. topics as well. So we speak openly a lot on this podcast about alcohol and drug use. Last week, we chatted a bit, a fair bit about alcohol use in the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Why do you think gay men in particular are more susceptible to substance misuse? Yeah. Um, look, there is lots of um, drug and alcohol use within the community. And, you know, part of it is cultural reasons. So mm-hmm. I think you mentioned last mm-hmm. week that, um, you know, in our Australian culture, it's very, yeah. they have a beer with yeah, the barbie out the back. And, you know, and I think in our queer communities, like I know as a young queer boy, you know, that first time I was so nervous about going and it was in a oh, gay club. Yeah. And then I was sitting at the bar, like it's a little, you know, 17 year old with 45 year old men mm-hmm. who'd had careers and homes mm-hmm. and they would drink. I didn't even know what to drink. I was no, like, I kind of like something like a fluffy duck. What's everyone drinking? <laughs> you know, so I think then as a 17 year old, you introduced to a culture that's already set up mm. for what I see with people that are susceptible to it because they're medicating some type of emotional pain. Yeah. And I think as queer people, you know, we, we're our minority, we live under constant minority stress, we don't see ourselves. Then we have people that are saying we're not good and we're horrible mm, and we're yeah. bad people and then if I'm feeling shit about myself of course I'm going to try and medicate that pain through sex drugs alcohol meth shopping going to the gym all those other things that we're going to do to sort of manage that emotional pain yes it is more prevalent in our community and you know we know that compared to our cis hetero you know it's four times more likely we know within our community that gay guys we tend to we're going to use amphetamines and we're going to Mm -hmm. drink more Mm -hmm. lesbians are going to use a lot more alcohol and transgender diverse are going to use benzos and dope I'm sorry what's benzos Uh, um, valiums painkillers and all the sort of those types of downer drugs to sort of take the edge off the horrible world so we know even within our community drug and alcohol plays out in very different ways Mm. and so for gay guys then I do think it is that underlying thing of not feeling good about ourselves from mm. stigma and discrimination that can come from anywhere mum, dad the community yeah. 
against each other. <laughs> you know, yeah. we can be horribly homophobic. Oh, yeah. You're not the right type of gay and I don't like that type of gay. So a natural response is to use drugs and alcohol. Mm. But, you know, having said that, they serve a purpose. Mm. You know, yeah. when they, they make their release, they're a good escape. Absolutely. You know, so I think the question is, you know, we need to be asking what role are they playing? And then is that role helpful or unhelpful in my life? Mm. And then we want to ask our peers, what mm. do you think yeah. as well? Because if I'm going to use my data, I'm going to be, oh, I'm going okay. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. they're like, oh, we have to bring you home every night. Mark, <laughs> yeah. put your clothes on and get down off that table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we want to ask our peers. And then we, you yeah. know, maybe want to ask some professionals, you know, like, oh, how do you think I'm going for my drug mm-hmm. and alcohol? And lots of doctors will sometimes, particularly at the high caseload clinics like Northside and mm-hmm. uh, Center Clinic, Pran Market, you know, I think because they're used to working with the queer community, knowing that we tend can be excessive because we have all these pressures of um, stigma and discrimination impacting upon us, that they will, you know, we can ask, oh, you know, how am I going for my drinking? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One question that I had is, if you do have someone that you are close with, like be it a relative or a close friend that you can obviously see do have an issue with alcohol or drug abuse, how would you go about approaching them in, I guess, a positive way to sort of help them get the help that they need? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Look, one of the problems is that you're the boss of you, you're not the boss of the other person. But because you're the boss of you, I think then it's your responsibility to say, this is the way that your drug and alcohol use is affecting Mm -hmm. my relationship with you. So I love you, but when you're drunk and sleep on the couch, I can't have a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. So you're letting them know the impact that their drug and alcohol use has upon you. Mm -hmm. You're not telling them don't take drugs and alcohol anymore, even though you might want to say that. (laughs) Um, But we know that that's going to be, if someone told me, I'd say, fuck off. (laughs) So we're not the boss of them. Mm-hmm. But by letting them know the impact that their drug or alcohol use has upon you, therefore, then they can incorporate into self and go, oh, my relationship with this person is important. Mm. I don't want to lose it because of my drugs and alcohol. So maybe I need to address my drugs and alcohol yeah. use that's causing the breakdown in the relationship. Harm minimization is always good. And I think you mentioned this last time. It's about, well, okay, we're going to go out drinking, but let's, yeah. you know, get there later and, you know, let's drink some water, mm-hmm. to, you know, oh, or, oh we're getting towards the end of the night, you know, yeah. and, you know, and let's not do shots. Let's do mixed drinks instead. Asking, oh, can I have that in a long glass instead of the short yeah. glass? So there are all those little ways to sort of stretch it out or, mm-hmm. you know, pills are okay, but they're only for special occasion. They're not for every week or, yeah. Yeah. you know, oh, and that's where you as a friend go, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I'm going to do it with you. And I think you mentioned this last week as well, but yeah. that, you know, if someone's going to be sober with you to go, oh, well, let's go to the, out for dinner and or yeah, or yeah. movies or let's go for a picnic and during the day and not during the night, mm-hmm. it's going to sort of be an ally. And we yeah. know the importance of allies. We saw yeah, how important sure. it was during the postal survey yeah. to have yeah. all our allies to go, because, you know, as queers, we can go, oh, you know, give us rights and, yeah. you know, it's a human right, love is love. And they're just like, oh, well, you're saying that because you're queer. Yeah. But when someone who doesn't have it says it, then it becomes a lot more important. Mm. So I think that you can be, you can be a good ally mm-hmm. to that person to go, how can I stand with you to manage your drug and alcohol yeah. use? But as I said before, for some people, it is medicating some emotional pain. Yeah. And so that's where we might want to go. I can see you're in pain here. Yeah. I know that you've broken up with X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. You're not processing it well. What mm-hmm. can we do to support you? What would you say then are some identifiers for people that maybe could then self-diagnose, you know, maybe if yeah. they're thinking, oh, I might be drinking a little bit too much at the moment. I might be partying a little bit too much at the moment. What symptoms would they have mm-hmm. to have for you to say, mm-hmm. yeah, I think probably this is a bit of a problem? Yeah, again, I'd be looking at the impact upon it. Mm-hmm. So they might not think that they have a problem, but they, you know, they might come in going, "Oh, my friends are dickheads." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I went out on Saturday night, and they're all really down on me, and maybe feel guilty about myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that person, they're obviously not ready to hear. Yeah. But I would then maybe just again explore how's this impacting your relationship? What, where yeah. do you want to be? What is important to you? And they're like, "Oh, my friends are really important to me." I had one guy who came in, a young gay guy, and looking good, looking healthy, and yeah. you know, hot. But he was like, "Oh, but when I drink and take drugs." I look, don't look good. I yeah, noticed right. I'm getting bad because he was yeah. a young guy. Mm. 
So he, that was his motivator. Okay, so it's right. trying to find, it's going to be very individual for all of us. You know, it'll be very individual to the person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if there's sort of any of those general, you know, you can do all those surveys and questionnaires and go, yeah. well, about the organization, but all of them, you always come out like, oh my God, like, I am well, an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, it's probably essentially yeah. noticing the changes in your, the people around you yeah. rather than yourself. Yeah. Is it impacting your relationships? Yeah, I'd right. be asking. And if they're like, yes, it is in a negative way, then um, definitely we'd be looking to um, what do we need to do with your drug and alcohol use to keep the relationships healthy because yeah. mm-hmm. it's coming in the way of you connecting with your friends or having a good time or, yeah, and people will start to lose friends. We know yeah. that it will happen, yeah. One thing I'm keen to ask about is weed. It mm. seems to be something I find in Australia, depending on what city you're in, is yeah. uh, as to how popular it is. Yeah. Um, I, for many years, just sort of did it very occasionally and yeah. then spent about six months smoking it basically every night Definitely. and mm-hmm. thought that it was a fine thing to do because, you know, you know I'm not going out and spending my money. Yeah. I'm not uh, making me interact with people mm-hmm. in a negative way and Ooh. I can get up in the morning, I'm not hungover and I can go to work and be absolutely fine. But after a period of time, discovered that it was really taking its toll. It, it was mm-hmm. Sort of a build up and, and really took its toll in that I was becoming quite lethargic. Um, I just was not as alert. I was not performing as much, you know, yeah. all these sorts of little things. And I sort of realized eventually what it was. Is that something that you find common in the gay community in Melbourne specifically, but also around mm. Australia? Is that yeah. a common thing? Look, I suppose we're asking that question. One of the things that I'm interested in is about, mm. you know, these idea between socially sanctioned drugs and yeah. non socially sanctioned drugs, yeah. and which is then linked with legality. I suppose one of the questions is, is it helpful or unhelpful Mm -hmm. so if i think oh i'm fat that's unhelpful if i think oh i'm fat i'm never going to leave home i'm going to stay on the couch watch netflix and eat pizzas Mm -hmm. and ice cream then that's unhelpful if i think i'm fat i need to reduce my carbohydrate intake Mm -hmm. increase my calorie burning Mm -hmm. then that's helpful so weed smoking is it unhelpful and helpful it's helpful if it makes you relaxed, you've had a big day, you don't cause mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. If you're a violent alcoholic, I'd rather you smoke weed. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's unhelpful, if I don't leave home, I'm losing mm-hmm. my relationship with my friends, I'm procrastinating. Mm-hmm. And I think for just what you said then, it was helpful. And then it became, and then it became unhelpful. Then it, yeah. yeah. So it's not the substance, it's the impact it's the or the effect of, of the subvert. Yeah. And that might change over time. Mm. And so there's been a discussion about conversion therapy recently, especially in the lead up to our election that we've just had. Our Prime Minister doesn't seem bothered by its continued presence in Australia. In your experience, how exactly is conversion therapy occurring in Australia and who should be taking responsibility for these things? Mm. Look, um, conversion therapy, since a lot of the professional bodies have come out against conversion therapy, so the Australian Psychological Society, Australian Medical Association, Mm -hmm. it's sort of just gone underground. So they wouldn't say, oh, it's conversion therapy anymore. They're calling it pastoral care or prayer ministries. So, yeah, sort of branded. It's sort of the same thing but with a different, uh, yeah, rebrand. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of come out a little bit more subversive. I mean, a lot of the big conversion therapies that we sort of saw in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. have sort of dissipated. You the know, camps and yeah, that sort of and, the, yeah. and the Exodus in America now made apologies, yeah. and you know, and that sort of really got rid of a lot of that institutionalized conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. But, but now it's sort of like sole practitioners, sort of lone okay. wolf, sort of wolf, yeah. sort of roguey, with all the best intention. But you know, they'll be like, "Oh, let me pray for you. Let me mm-hmm. pray for your homosexuality. Get rid of it." Mm. So it has another form now. So okay. it might be a little bit harder. Mm. Now a lot of the professional bodies mm-hmm. are responsible for now policing where the conversion therapy happens. But I suppose the problem is now when you get people that are not part of the professional bodies. So almost yeah. any, anyone can call themselves a, a counsellor. Anyone sure. else can call themselves, you know, a youth minister or mm-hmm. a pastor mm-hmm. or, you know, and those aren't regulated. Yeah. But maybe if we move more towards, you know, that it is a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have child abuse and we have sexual abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse. You know, we use it like, use the abuse language, like spiritual abuse. It's someone using their power mm-hmm. that they have over the other person yeah. to coerce them. Because there are mm-hmm. some faith-based institutions that are quite open and willing and acceptance. Mm. And I think if we move them along, I think as there's more quiz in the with spirituality, yes. there's going to be less, again, fear mm-hmm. of these is what queer people look like. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, there's going to be more acceptance and tolerance and affirmation. And I think that's the way to get rid of conversion yeah. therapy as opposed to this, you know, punitive, let's stamp it out. Yeah. And I think also, you know, a lot of the conversion therapy is really only talking about Christian, you know, yes. you know, 
I think in our Muslim communities and okay, in our yeah. other types of faith, mm. some orthodoxies, both Jewish and Greek, yeah. and you know, conversion therapy is still, still pretty quite, right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, when right. I think about conversion therapy, I think about Christians. Yes. I don't think about any other no, religion whatsoever. No. And um, yeah, so I do hear horror stories in the mm-hmm. counselling room of particularly um, Muslim people being kidnapped by their family, right. taken to the iman to stop them from being gay. Wow. And that's some really, really horrible things. Mm. So some scary things happen in the, maybe in those Christian ones. You know, we've, the debate's been going on for a long time. There's yeah. been a lot more dialogue. And so people of faith have moved into, you know, love is love and, mm. oh, God's love, and then how could he hate gay people? Yeah. Whereas I think maybe some of those other religions that haven't mm. had those history of dialoguing mm-hmm. yeah. about it are still caught in this, again, this binary of good and bad and, yeah. you know, yes, no, and gay or straight and God only loves gays. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned gays with spirituality. Are you finding that as time progresses that we are having more and more gay people sort of, I guess, come out with spiritual beliefs and wanting to express that? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, you know, like the, the queers, we get in everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I think now there is this sort of growing uh, thing of queer people. If something's exclusive, then we're yeah. on, we're, yeah. we're on yeah. a list. Yeah. We're in the queue. We're ready to get in. Give me my wine and my bread. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Have you seen the fashion? I think it's the Rose. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a great, great yes. form of drag. I was like, how can I be drag queen and be, have, a yeah. have a faith? And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that now the people are going, actually, no, I want to keep my faith yeah. and keep reconcile it's it with not, my it's sexuality. It's not one or the other anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It used to be this thing of, oh, I can't be because there was no options. Mm. You know, I, I do like to distinguish between religion and spirituality. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and faith is very individual. Um, but I think spirituality is about the way that you connect with the, how mm. your faith works out in your life. And religion is like the institution or the, the church, place where it yeah. might happen. Yeah, and the church. So I think for those churches that are not encompassing, mm-hmm. letting people go on their little faith journey to develop a spirituality of whatever that spirituality looks like, I think those churches are sort of, yeah, we're, we're not mm-hmm. going to find queer people. Mm-hmm. And of course, then we have queer faith communities like yeah. the Metropolitan mm-hmm. Community Church and St. Mm-hmm. Mark's and uh, Freedom to Be, where um, queer people can um, experience their faith together. Mm. It's sort of like that thing of, you know, you know, we need our own gay spaces, queer spaces, yeah, like gay clubs. Yeah, for but sure. we also want to go to some bars that are welcoming of queers as well. Yeah. 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 So we yeah, need the both. True. We need yeah. some exclusive yeah. spaces for us, but we need some spaces where we're going to integrate. Mm. And the same within the church. I hate to keep bringing up the election because it's incredibly <laughs> depressing. <laughs> yes, um, but another uh, amazing major election issue has been the mental health plan and extending the available sessions someone can access per year uh, and also lowering the gap needed to pay to see a psychologist. Do you think we'll see any action from our current government there? And how do you feel about the spending the government has committed to the mental health space so far? Well, when we say government, you know, we've got two now governments. Yeah. Yeah. So our Victorian government, so Mm -hmm. Daniel Andrews, has called the Royal Commission into Mental Health. Daddy Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. Daddy Daniel. Love it. Love it. Mr. Andrews. Yeah. Yeah, so I think with that one, I have gone to the consultations yep. of the Royal Commission, mm-hmm. and they've said that the Andrews government is committed to rolling out all of the recommendations. Okay. The problem is we haven't come up with the recommendations right. yet. Okay. <laughs> so they're so just going to say... hopefully one of the recommendations yeah. will be about accessibility. Great. And that people need to be have clear accessibility. And, you know... We're talking about geographical accessibility. Mm-hmm. Or, or just accessibility with in terms of finance. Okay, yeah. You know, accessibility okay. in, you know, do I have to go and see GP mm-hmm. to get a mental health care plan? How many yeah. times do I have to get it? Then when you get to six sessions, you have to go back again. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. you know, that might change. Mm-hmm. And then who's going to hold the money? So at the moment, mm-hmm. it sort of stands with mental health networks mm-hmm. in different regions. Um, and that might change as well. You know, so I am hopeful, cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a queer community, we need to therefore be talking to our governments yeah. about this is the mm-hmm. way that queer people need to access mental health. You know, we already know we have more yeah. mental health, poorer mental health than cis and hetero people. So that might be about answering to these royal commissions. So mm-hmm. going onto the website and going, hi, I'm a queer guy mm-hmm. and this is my biggest barrier. Mm-hmm. I can't access my doctor. I live in the country. When I do get to my go and see my doctor, there's a three-week waiting list. Okay. Yeah. Going back uh, after six weeks is a barrier for me. Mm-hmm. Why can't I just get my 12 all straight up? Yeah. So I think as a queer community, we need to activate to make sure we are yeah. part of this dialogue because otherwise they'll make decisions without us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this might be also, you know, go to your local minister. You'll see them down 
their little shop will be the shopping center. Mm, yeah. Go there, knock on their door, send them an email and say, this is what you know our community needs. And we need queer identified practitioners. Yes. Yes. Because when you go to a queer identified practitioner, you don't have to go through that. This is what it's like being queer. Yeah, we, you already it. know that we're under stigma. We have yeah. discrimination. We live with this minority stress. I don't see myself this constant pressure mm. of having to conform to some heteronormative ideal. Everyone should be heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, not that they say there's something bad about you, but you, you're just something not quite right or it's yeah. not as good yeah. as heterosexuality. And just living under that every day and every catalogue you open and mm -hmm. every magazine, you know, magazines we look at and ads on television and it erases us. You know, I also feel like going to see somebody that, I mean... I'm sure that there are some wonderful heterosexual mm. cis people out there yeah. that, that are doing your job. But we've come out so many times and when we go into that space, having to come out yeah. again, again to somebody, yeah, it sure. just, there's a, just an extra step you have to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if I go into a room and the person that I'm meeting with, I, I, if I know that they identify as, as queer, then yeah. I, I'm already you can sort of feeling a little bit. You all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm already like, hang on, you know that part, how, yeah. what that part feels like. Let me get to the other problems. Yeah. 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 It is a tension though, because I might be a queer that's very different queer to you. <laughs> sure, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, there, there are commonalities. And I think also, queer sexuality, mm. you know, it plays out in very different ways True, yeah, yeah. than other sexualities. And we've also got that queer history, mm. you know, of histories of oppression. Yeah. And, you know, it was only 1980, I think it was still criminal to be homosexual mm. in Victoria. Yeah. yeah. So I think we, you know, we hold those common histories and we had the Tasty Raid and we've mm -hmm. just had this yeah. thing with at Hares and Hyenas. Oh, so oh, again, yes. this oh, police, we hold those within mm. us, our local communities. And of course, you know, HIV. So, you yeah. know, there, there was, they were going to put all the gays and round them up and put mm -hmm. them on an island and mm -hmm. quarantine them. We, we, sh we share those common histories and the common stories and we hold it in ourselves, yeah. that pain of, mm. um, you know, and even the postal survey, you know, and that mm. was only like last year. Yeah. And yet there was all those voices that there's something wrong with gay people and if they get married, you know, yeah. horses are going to be able to, you know, you oh, could marry God. a horse, yeah. or, you know, or, uh, they're going to be pedophiles. And yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and they're unfit parents and, mm -hmm. you know, they shouldn't be... Even there's moves at the moment to try and whine about the adoption mm -hmm. laws. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just like, it's still there. And yeah. we always will be a minority. And I think people will always be scared of things they don't understand. And so, therefore, there's always going to be homophobia. And as we experience homophobia, then we have poorer mental health. Yeah. yeah. So that's why this Royal Commission is going to be really important. And to make sure that we do have the dual systems, that we yeah. can access the public system, mm -hmm. but we also need queer safe spaces for us mm -hmm. because yeah. we have unique barriers. And the Royal Commission, um, mm. the terms of reference have been done, but they're still in that consultative phase of it. So if you've got something to say, if you want to talk to the Victorian government and tell them what you want this Royal Commission into Mental Health looks like, get in contact with your... Yeah, amazing. That's a great idea. We'll post the link in our Facebook group, The Gays Are Revolting, if anyone wants to yeah. jump on there and, and sort of share use, share your own experiences and suggestions as well. Is that definitely, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, great. Um, and on a federal level, look, we don't know what the government's going to do. The, no, the really. Yeah. Oh, government's going government's to do, do. <laughs> but I do find that there is a mismatch between what's yeah. going on at the federal yeah. level and then what's going on the state levels. Yeah. And it'd be great mm -hmm. if the state's going to go, oh, we're going to be looking at drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Oh, we're going to be looking at early intervention. Oh, we're going to be looking at what happens when someone who's unwell gets released from a, a psychiatric hospital in care into the community, mm. um, how's that going to happen? If that's not going to be happening also at the federal level, then we're going to get this real mismatch yeah. and again, people will fall through the gaps yeah. and again, the funding will not be consistent and yeah. so therefore things will get wind back and we end up with poorer opportunities for our community. Mm. And are you hopeful with this government that it'll be matched? Um, I haven't really heard a lot of, of what, they're, yeah. you know, what yeah. they're offering at the moment. They were matching health and hopefully that health would include mental health. Mm. Uh, you mentioned waiting lists of, of up to three weeks, and I've heard of people mm. having to wait longer. Is that longer for queer people looking for other queer psychologists, or is that fairly standard across across the board for people? There is a lot of pressure on, because there's not a lot of queer identified mm. practitioners mm -hmm. and not a lot of queer identified services. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, it does put a lot of pressure. We actually need more mm. because there's lots of generalists and lots of, you know, like headspaces where anyone mm -hmm. can go to. But queer specific services, yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of pressure within our community because we have a lot more, as we've identified, oh, yeah. a lot more mental health issues. Yeah. But there's not a lot more services. It's not yeah. matching up to uh, the, the demand the is definitely outstripping the need. Mm. But for LGBT people in rural Australia, what's the best way for them to access regular care with queer identifying practitioners? 
Look, it is a real barrier, you know, in rural and regional areas. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they do come to the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we will okay. see people from sort of remote and rural regional areas. You know, there's some satellite services as okay. well. So there's services uh, like uh, Thornhub Health has a, a service out in Bendigo. And there's um, a new gender clinic. It's going to be funded in Ballarat. Oh, oh great. Nice. Um, yeah. So that'll be really, really good. Look, a lot of the things might be about using sort of mm-hmm. e-health and sort of lo- lots of those ways where where, where people can log on Um, I think under in counselling I think you can do two telephone counselling services Mm -hmm. be funded okay um, but otherwise yeah it is going to be I think one of the things is you know as I mentioned before about finding allies yeah and if we can get allies so we might not be able to get queer people Mm -hmm. out there but we can get allies and train them up so to make them feel equipped which is about teaching them about the culture Mm -hmm. and about the impact of stigma and discrimination and some of the unique things that queer people experience I think if we can find strong allies or champions mm. that might already be in, in the existing rural areas. Yeah. yeah, that would be really great. Nice. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Um, so we reached out to, to listeners and asked them to send things in mm-hmm. for this episode. We didn't want to read out people's personal stories given, you know, how intense that can be f- for individuals. But one of the things that did pop up a lot is the topic of eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Yeah. Obviously, in in mainstream society, that's something that's really attributed to women. But in, in the LGBTQIA plus society, it's something that's really common amongst gay men. How do you begin to even tackle beauty standards like that? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that, um, about, you know, like, where does it come from? You know, mm. I, I think, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, you know, so, you know, Freddie Mercury yeah. with this sort yeah. of hollow cheeked and sort of skeletal HIV mm-hmm. and I think when we finally got some medications and you know that we sort of moved right everyone was like oh I have to now show oh, the okay. world that I haven't got HIV yeah. so I have to have, be fit oh, gosh, and healthy and be yeah. glowing all the time you know so the, the pendulum swung mm-hmm. it was like oh HIV body no, I don't want that. I want this fit, healthy body. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, this is really hard to maintain all the time. I'm just going to yeah. have a bare body. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I think we do have some models within our community of different ways that we can sort of have our bodies. Mm-hmm. But I know I notice, um, you know, particularly in the trans and gender diverse community, mm-hmm. we see lots of body dysmorphia because oh, yeah. this body, this flesh is not who I am. And so therefore there can be lots of not reconciling themselves with the body. In that sense, we all have body mm-hmm. dysmorphia. There's always, I want to be tall. I want to be short. Sure. I want to be fat. I want to yeah. be younger. I want to be whatever I want to be. You know, and how do we make peace with that and how do we reconcile those parts of ourselves? So that might be about things like, well, you know, this body, yes, it might not be the body that you want, but, you know, it's your temple and it's your tool and, you know, we need to make friends with that sort of parts yeah. of your body to reconcile the two and hold the two in tension. And, and, and as I said before, if I'm like, oh, I don't like this about my body and that makes me feel shit about myself, then mm. that's not good. That's not mm. helpful. But if it makes me, motivates me then to do something about it, then yeah. that's helpful. Mm. The helpfulness or the unhelpfulness and then making that peace to hold mm. to that I don't like my body and I love my body. Uh, and I think when we only get I don't like my body, then that's when we start to get the problems. Mm. Do you think there's also an element of, I was like sort of look at my brother's yeah. life and his relationship as a heterosexual man yeah. when I'm sort of thinking about my mm. own and, and comparing the two. When I look at a guy, I, I mean, it's not the first thing that comes to mind. No, but, but there but is like sort of that question that crosses of, your mind. Yeah, it, yeah. Am I attracted to that guy? And if I'm attracted to the guy, does that mean that that's the body that I want to have? Mm. Why do I have this need to look like the guy that I want to have mm-hmm. sex with? Mm-hmm. But maybe that's then about attraction. Yeah. Mm. You're attracted to the body. Mm. And that's right. If it's something that you want to own, and then that's about patriarchy. and Yeah. Because yeah. that's what men do with women. They, mm-hmm. it, the body is only valuable if it's desirable to mm-hmm. a male. Mm-hmm. It's the same with us because we have it with still within us. Mm. Yeah. And so that's why we will then shame people because mm. their body's not desirable. So when we're on our grinder and scruff and that, we'll just flip yeah. away. Yeah. Just <laughs> you like, casually flip yeah. away all these yeah. people. Because we're only saying that your body has to be desirable to me because I'm the dominant. Yeah, Because right. I hold the power. I have the power to tell you what's desirable, not, yeah. not desirable. Yeah, I think what's going on there is even though we're queer, mm. so we, but we've internalized that dominant mm. male paradigm mm. of only valuable bodies are body, desirable bodies that are desirable to me right. as the dominant male. Because I wonder, yeah, I wonder, you know, I mean, there's a, but there's also lesbians like, do it as well. Know, no, I don't think they do. I, I think lesbians know. are a lot better at, yeah. at being with a body that they find attractive, but not necessarily yeah. trying to have that Wanting body. To be that to the body. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's what um, we want to get get to, isn't it? And, and this isn't so people. much about only being attracted to certain kind of guys. It's more about I might be a skinny guy that's into yeah. bears, mm. and then 
wanting to put on weight but not being able to or bears that are attracted to twins you know yeah you're right that lesbians do seem a lot happier to just sort of Mm. be with Mm -hmm. somebody and not try and then turn themselves into the person that that they're with yeah there was a great study called out of the gym and into the closet oh yes it was a melbourne study yeah and that's exactly what it was talking about it was talking about gay guys who won't go into the gay community because they're not meeting this ideal standard so they go back into the closet and they'll just sit at home and think i can't access the community because i'm you know, ugly and fat yeah. and mm. old or whatever they were. So the body image would be mm. erasing their sexuality. Mm. And, you know, and it is paralleled within the cis and hetero community. Oh, you know, are there cis hetero guys with body image? Yes, definitely. Oh, absolutely. And they feel the pressure of this, ma- yeah. you know, having to be... Um, but I don't think they're comparing themselves to the people they're, the, they are, they're attracted yeah. to no. like we are. No. Is, is the tough part. I think you see it in the hetero community mm. with porn. Mm-hmm. You know, because oh, yeah, they're like, watching lots of porn, sure. so they think, oh, I have to have an erection that lasts oh, for three hours. Oh, my dick has to look like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah I have to shoot like that. that far, yeah. So, you know, in some sense, they sort of are internalising mm-hmm. the image of toxic masculinity. Mm. That would yeah. be the toxic masculinity that we have inside ourselves, mm. that we think, you know, mm-hmm. the only valuable people are sort of the young, fit, smooth ones. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for coming in. It's yeah, been, it's been fantastic. Such a great conversation. I, I've actually learned quite a lot mm-hmm. about myself and about different relationships that I've had in the past as well. So, no, thank you, thank you so much. Um, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you or seek out any of your services, how can they contact you? Look, the best place is actually jump on the Queer Space website. Okay. It's like got lots of pull-down boxes, all the services, services for family, friends, partners, individuals. Yeah. Um, all the groups we run are all there, so it's a really good resource. Cool, and we'll link that obviously in our Facebook group if y'all are interested. See you soon, hopefully. I'll come back. Well, what a great episode it's been, Thomas. It's been fascinating. It's been Mark's just you wonderful. and I. I know. Yeah, you, you and me. I think we need to spend more time together without great. the other fuckheads. I can't even I remember their names. Oh, who knows? <laughs> but no, once again, thank you, Mark Camilleri, for coming on the show. He was it wonderful. Was fantastic. Yeah, fascinating. So we'll definitely have him back on. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget to follow us on our socials. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Gays Revolting. Uh, Instagram, at Gays Revolting Pod. And on Facebook, we have both a page and a group. Just search for The Gays yeah. Revolting. Um, and don't forget that we also have our live show coming up in Melbourne on the 19th of July. Yes. The Brunswick Mechanic Institute. I've got that right this time. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, come and see us. It'll be a great time. A few little extra surprises that you don't get in the recorded That's shows. It. We'll be there. And yeah. uh, there's booze. We'll have a drink. Exactly right. Hit me up. <laughs> um, uh, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Yes, we will. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 